Turkaholics and welcome back to this bonus episode of Football a la Turca. I know we promised you a transfer episode this week and that's coming, but lining up schedules has been a little bit of a challenge. It's, it's still the international break. You've got plenty of content with our uh, Europa League previews already for Trabs and Sports Group C, for Bashakshir's Group J, um, and... In two days, the on the 12th, the Besiktas preview for Group K will be dropping. That will be dropping exclusively on the Black Eagles podcast feed, so go check that out. And of course, Galatasaray's, podca- uh, Galatasaray's Euro- UEFA Champions League Group C preview is dropping on the 15th. And somewhere in between there, we're going to get that transfer episode done. Um, but that's going to be for the next couple of days. Hi, I'm Kam Bayezid, your host, and I'm joined today only by Burak Sesgi, my co-host. Burak, thank you very much for joining me. We're going to talk a little bit of international break stuff, international football, and Turkey in particular. Amazing stuff. We're just coming off the back of beating Moldova 4-0, and Albania beating Iceland 4-2, and uh, Turkish representatives having a great international break. I feel like a dog with two dicks right now. That's a, a neat little expression there. Uh, dog with two dicks. Okay, yeah, so, um, of course, two international games uh, for Turkey this international break. Initially, there was a very difficult 1-0 victory over Andorra. 1-0 at home at the Vodafone Park. Um, the goal coming very late there, an 89-minute Ozan Tufan headed a Yusuf Yazici corner kick home and got the three points for Turkey. That was a very nervous match. Um, not I wasn't particularly nervous, I have to say, but the commentator was very nervous. Nervous. I think like 25 minutes out, he was already kind of like, um, yeah, just getting nervous. And come on, guys, come on, come on, you know. Turkish commentators, howdy, you know. Um, so uh, there was def- def- definitely some nervosity around the team uh, against Andorra, um, but like Burak said, today we com- we're coming up a very comfortable four nil win against Moldavo on the road, um, and m- perhaps more importantly, or equally importantly, Iceland lost four to two against Albania. Um, so yeah, that gives us a, a huge advantage. That means Turkey are now top of the group on level points with France. Both have 15 points, but of course, Turkey had the better head-to-head due to that uh, 1-0 win uh, in Konya in the beginning of the campaign, if I'm not mistaken. Um, 2-0, I believe. Was it? I thought it was 1-0. No, uh, uh, Jengi scored and Khan Ayhan scored as well. Right, your good point. So 2-0, which also gives us an advantage because, of course, then if France doesn't beat us by more than two goals, that means we would be ahead, head-to-head. But given this, how it works now for qualifying for the for the Euros, the two top teams directly go to the Euros. You don't have to play any qualifiers, any uh, any barrage games anymore as you used to in the past. So... We're in a decent position right now. Of course, lots can still change. Um, but let's talk about these matches first, Burak. What? Uh, let's just look at the Andorra game first. I'm just going to start off here with the lineup <clears throat> to give people a little bit of a clue of, of how Turkey are shaping up these days. So in goal was Mert Gunok of Başakşehir. here. On right back was Ziki Celik from uh, Lille. On, uh, in the center of defense was Çalar was Charles Soyuncu and Meri Demiral. On the left back was Umut Merash from La Havre in Ligue 2. In midfield we had Emre Belzolo of Fenerbahce, Kanchalanolo of Milan, Irfan Cankavici of Başakşehir and Yusuf Yazici of Lille. And then up top we had Cenk Tosun of Everton and Güven Yalcin of Besiktas. Now this was a very difficult game. Uh, what stood out to you in this match? What do you think was Turkey's main issue here? I just think there was a, a real lack of creativity and pace in the final third. You had uh, Emre playing the almost quarterback role just in front of the, the back four, kind of distributing passes out to the wings and in front of him. But once we got the ball forward, we couldn't seem to be able to break down the Andorran defence. And they 
shaped up very defensively. Can't remember the formation that we're playing, but it almost seems at times like it was like six and four. And I think with just Hakan Chahon, all just he has no creativity about him at at the moment. I don't know what's happened. And the guy has potential, but and he has the odd good game for Turkey, like average game, should I say? And he scores the odd goal here and there, but he just failed to create anything in that in that game. I mean, I can't remember a a good free kick or a good corner delivery. And if he did, please correct me. But I was just so disappointed with his performance. And I think the top two of Guven Yalcin and Cenk Tosun, they just didn't seem seem to work. And that's that's probably why Guven came off at half time as well. And we failed to create some clear cut goal scoring chances. I can't remember like a clear cut uh, position. We were used to like shooting from distance, putting crosses into the box which never met met anyone. And as the game went on and on, the, the team got a little bit more frustrated. So there was a couple of yellow cards. Um, I have no worry about our defence. I think the the two centre-backs, Medic and Charlotte, are just solid. Um, especially Charlotte is in a really good uh, run of form at the moment for Leicester City in the Premiership. And I'm not sure how much game time Medic has been getting at Juve with regards to full 90 minutes or sub-appearances, but he seemed like he hadn't missed a beat since the last couple of national games we had as well. But I think the real um, issue here was the just a lack of creativity and the ability to move the ball in that final third, make that killer pass, or make that killer run, etc. So that really let us down. And, and luckily, Ozan popped up at the end with a, a good header from a great cross from Yusuf to give us the point. And... It shouldn't have been a game that troubled us so much, especially as we're playing at home as well. Um, completely different performance that we had tonight. But what were your thoughts, Khan, on the Andorra match? What do you, where do you think Turkey struggled? Well, I think the, the inherent lack of a proper winger is, is, is obviously a huge issue. We saw Irfan Can playing on the left a lot uh, against Andorra. We saw him doing it again tonight against Moldova. And despite the result against Moldova tonight, I didn't have the feeling that we played particularly well. Um, I didn't really see any massive played out, you know, chances like you like you pointed out in the Andorra game. No main clear cut chances except for uh, that that header from Jenk, I guess, uh, or was it a header um, right after he took that shot, um, which was we kind of created that space for himself, and then he fired off a shot. But then right after that, I think he got like a header or something on goal, which he really should have put away. I don't remember if it was a shot or a header from that. Uh, was it an Irfan Jan cross? I'm 100% sure. I cannot remember at this time, actually. Hmm. But I think the, the chance creation is an issue, like you pointed out. Hakan Çalhanoğlu, I've never been impressed with his creativity, especially not for Turkey. Um, I'm, I'm just not a fan of Hakan Çalhanoğlu. I think he's the type of player that weighs down the team. Uh, also because he, he does have a little bit of an ego, and he is this set-piece master, supposedly hasn't scored a free kick since 2017, mind you. Um but he just claims every dead ball situation. I think that was a problem against Andorra. And I don't think it's a coincidence that once he went off and Yusuf Yazid just started taking the corners, we actually scored on a corner kick. Yusuf's corners were a lot more da- a lot more dangerous than, than, than Hakan's were. Um, and I'm not saying Yusuf played a particularly good game against Andorra. But um, yeah, no, for me, Hakan Chalanol is just one of those guys. I mean, he's still at a young age. I mean, he's like 24, 25, so... You'd say, okay, you know, he still has plenty of potential, but I think he's just one of those guys that peaked really early, and I really haven't seen any progression from him. And I think he's just, you know, a false savior, so to speak, or a false messiah. I, I, I don't see him as a leader for this team, ever. I don't think he should be one of the first names on the on the team sheet. I think Yusuf Yazidji has a far higher ceiling, I think, Abdul Qadir Umur has a far higher ceiling, you know, obviously he's out injured right now, um, but uh, I think we have better options in that number 10 role if we want to play with a number 10 to begin with. Uh, but yeah, yeah, just lack of, of, of creativity. Denis Turic was put on today, um, a, a more a, a more pure wing type player, I'd say. He's not an exact, like, like a winger, he's more like a right midfielder, but you know, more classic right midfield a la David Beckham or something, except for he, he has a left foot on the right. So, um, 
But yeah, I think just we have a, a big lack of, of quality wingers right now. This generation, you know, we have this issue up up top where we are still relying way too much on a 34-year-old Burak Yilmaz who's out injured right now. Uh, and then Jane Tolson who's not getting any minutes at Everton. Um, and it's Unal who, for the national team, just hasn't really broken any you know any pots so to speak and and he's kind of struggling in, in in Spain he's getting minutes there but he's not really prolific of course he's playing for a smaller team but I think we have a such a talented generation at the back we have a lot of decent central midfielders even though a 39 year old Emre Belzo is still playing but I mean he's still class but then on the wings we just have a a lack of, of quality. Genghis Under constantly being out injured doesn't help. He's our best player, I think, when fit, uh, especially offensively. And then, of course, you know, relying still too much on Burak. So we need to find those types of players. And that's why it's baffling to me that, that for example, Enes Unal isn't getting any minutes in these two games. I mean, he could have easily come on today and uh, had got some minutes. And he could have easily come on against Andorra because we needed a goal and put on a second striker. But Shinal Gunish didn't. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, um, you had um, the subs that he bought against Andorra. He bought on um, Emir Kulinch, Ozan Tufan and Kenan Karaman. And I thought that either Kulinch or Karaman could have gave gave way for Ennis um, if he wanted to, you know, throw the kitchen sink at it, so so to speak. I mean, we we did have a lot of good possession in, in the game against Andorra. I mean, you're looking at the, the stats, it's saying we had 75% possession of the ball and 627 completed passes but um, as the saying goes you can have all the possession in the world but if you don't make it count for anything um, it's saying we also had 8 shots on goal which I cannot remember for the life of me so there must have been really just poor shots on goal that you know someone just like stuck out of foot and it went towards the goalkeeper who caught it so yeah, desperation attempts or something I, I can't really recall any either I mean that's we didn't create many chances and I mean, we have 15 out of 18 possible points, which is astounding, which is amazing. Uh, and credit to Shinal Gunesh for restoring fate in the national team and restoring the players' fate in themselves. Um, we did what we had to do so far in this group, except, of course, away at Iceland, where I think we kind of wet the bed uh, and, and got tactically outclassed because we know going into that match what they're going to do. They're going to try and bomb us with crosses. They're going to try and bomb us with corner set pieces. And they're going to try and bomb us with those with those long throw-ins. And we knew that going into that match. We've played Iceland so often over the past couple of years. You know exactly what they're going to do. And it, it just felt like we were completely un- unprepared for that match. But then against, you know, of course, before that, we had that amazing win against France where you're playing the world champions. The team is highly motivated. Um... And, and and on the other end of the spectrum, France were, I think, burned out after a long season. A lot of their players played very had a very long season. Kylian Mbappe wasn't entirely uh, fit; just came back from an injury, and and Kante was was injured. So that's a huge miss for France. And we just took them by storm and, and fully deserved that win against them. But then you know, two three days later, you go up to Iceland and you lose. Um, but apart from that, we've done our jobs in every other match. We've beaten Albania, beaten Moldova now, beaten Andorra. But let's be honest, these are all minnows. These are teams we should be beating. But in the past, we saw very often that we drop points against an Albania away or something. And that's not happening right now. And I think Chanel Gunez deserves credit for that. But tactically, I still see so many problems with this team. Uh, for example, today, I don't know if you noticed, but for example, our, our ball recovery in midfield was a little bit worrying. Up until the 1-0, I really felt like we were prone against Moldova's counters and that we weren't getting the ball away from them on time. And that our midfield just wasn't recovering the ball and, and they were constantly running at us when they got with the, when they got those opportunities to counter. And that's something I think we need to improve in midfield. I mean, yeah, I, I did notice that, but uh, at no point was I worried about conceding a goal from open play. You mentioned it in our in our group chat that the only worry really came from their corners, and but then again, you know, we've got Merich there, you've got Karnai Han there, you've got Seki Chaluk there, all tall lads, all strong in the air, have been known for scoring goals with headers. So I think I wasn't too too worried. 
about conceding a goal, apart from the corners, like you said. But I did have faith in the, the defence that they would be able to get ahead on it and, and get it out. And like you say, we our main oppositions in this group should be Iceland. But we can we can only beat what's in front of us. And so far that was Andorra and, and Moldova. And we did it by the skin of our teeth against Andorra. And we did it quite comprehensively tonight against Moldova. So we can have a nice rest now until September. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, November. Sorry, we're in September. The next bunch of games are in November. Uh, I think they're in October, aren't they? Um, you know, I do, I, I do have the... Uh, yeah, they're yeah, they, are, they are in October, yeah. yeah. The next one is on Friday, the 11th of October, against Albania at home. Yeah. Then uh, the next one is on the 14th against France in uh, in France. And at the same time, when we're playing Albania, Iceland will be playing France, will be playing yes. host to France. So that's very interesting for us. And of course, uh, when we are playing away at France, Iceland will be playing away at Andorra. Um, so yeah, they're at home. They're at home to Andorra. Are you sure? That's what Wikipedia says. Ah, oh, Wikipedia. <laughs> I checked Soccer Way. I'm pretty sure it's Andorra, <laughs> Iceland. But you might be right. I bet uh, you an ice cream it is not. <laughs> yeah. But so you you expect Iceland to pick up the win, win against Andorra. Yeah, obviously. And um, Albania away is tough, as we know. You know, Iceland got beat 4-2 tonight. So beating Albania away was a big result for us. And we should be able to beat them at home with the home support on, on the 11th of October. And then hopefully still go in to the match away at France as group leaders. Which then leads us on to like the crunch match, really, which is uh, 14th of November, which is when we play Iceland at home. Uh, let's see, the next wave of games... Um... You're right, it's Iceland-Andorra, so it's it's Iceland playing host to Andorra. Uh, but yeah, regardless, I think that's a that's a match we're already counting three points for Iceland pretty much, yeah. uh, despite the fact of how we managed to struggle against them. But, you know, this is a typical one of those games, if you score that first goal early, that can end up being a 4-5-6-0 win, but it's... Yeah, you know, sometimes it's just that getting that first goal is always the most important thing in those types of matches. And we've just struggled against Andorra. We just kept smashing our face against their uh, defense. And they they did pretty well, actually, because I think they did a bit better job at neutralizing Jing Tulsun than uh, Moldova did today, even though most of Andorra's players are probably semi-professionals. So it's quite, uh, they deserve some credit for that. But uh, all in all, I think, you know, we are in a very good position now. We have three bonus points, basically. We don't even have to beat Iceland. I think we... And also, the the big advantage we have, I think, something I was kind of fearful for is that... Uh, you remember the fallout from that uh, Turkey-France match? There was a lot of political pressure being put on... Uh, I don't know, like the, the politicians in France were going nuts because uh, our fans, the Turkish fans, boot their national anthem and stuff like that. And there was like a political uh, riot almost going on about that, which, I mean, obviously you don't want anyone to boo a national anthem. That's not nice. That's not, you know, sportsmanlike. But the reaction from France was just like, the, even their, their prime minister uh, said something about it, that Turkey should be fined or something or, or punished somehow. I think it was completely out of whack and just came across as they were kind of being sore losers. Um, but with that in mind, I really think that um, France would be in a position where, let's say we drop some points here and there against those minnows, so to speak, um, and they would be comfortably at the top of the table uh, come October. They, I would not be surprised if they would be like, hey, you know what, Iceland, here, have a couple of points. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I think the fact that we're now... No, no, no. Yeah. You turn, turn it into the Eurovision Song Contest where Cyprus yeah. gives Greeks 12 points all the time. <laughs> yeah, exactly, man. I mean, and, and that's the thing. I, I am very happy with the fact that we are now on level points with France, so they can't pull any shenanigans. They have to go and do their jobs against Iceland because we're have that we have an advantage that they play Iceland first. Look, if, if if France goes and phones it in against Iceland and doesn't beat them, or even you know lose, 
then they're in a really precarious position because then they have to beat us. And even then, they need to do it by enough goals because otherwise they wouldn't even be certain of qualification for the Euros. So we're put, we are putting pressure on France now to beat, to beat uh, Iceland. And then, of course, we have to do our jobs against Albania and then hope that, uh, you know, uh, I, France does their jobs against uh, Iceland. I think if France beats Iceland, then it's then it's our then it's over. I, I won't say over because we still have to do our jobs and against Iceland and obviously against Andorra and Moldavo and against Albania. But then if we don't lose at home against Iceland and we do our jobs in those other matches, you know we're. We're we're at the Euros already, so we're in a really good position right now. But obviously, you know, still some games to go. But um, it's positive what we're seeing. What, what's your general um, state of mind when it comes to uh, the job Channel Gunesh has done since uh, coming in as national team coach? I think definitely positive. I mean, you know, you take the Iceland game out of the equation where they held us at the airport for so bloody long. Anyway, but he's he's managed to put together a, a young team. Like you mentioned, the interim period that Ducescu had, which was a bit of a, a thankless task, but it did help in bringing out these young players and the the foreigner ban well not bad but the limit the fact that there isn't one is really helping these players develop you look at the players in that team over these two games that currently apply their trade abroad you know there are people from the the midfield the defense and the attack that are all playing abroad and getting really good experience against top level opposition as well in european competition which is only going to improve them but the fact that he's managed to create this positivity around the national team again is is fantastic. It's great for the country. It's great for the players because they can feel the the support as well. Um, I mean, with the the women's volleyball team being in the final on on Sunday, and then the the national team games being like sandwiched either side of that. Uh, the men in the basketball championships. There's been this like almost like positive surge of you know, support from the fans and you know outpouring love for the national team, which I think is great. And I think it only helps galvanise the footballers and also the other uh, the sports people as well, whether they be in the basketball, whether it be in the volleyball. You see this outpouring of support for Turkish national teams in big competitions. It's great. Um, long may it continue, and hopefully players stay healthy and, and can get fit. I mean, like you said, we played this game without arguably our, our best player when fit, Jengiz Undad, and also Abdul Qadir's uh, Amur as well. Sadly, he was injured, so hope he gets back to uh, health real soon, because with those two in the team, with uh, Yusuf Yazajir, you, you mentioned that front three uh, playing behind a striker, whether it's Jenk, Warak, Enes, you know, whoever they choose to play, and then uh, two midfielders behind. That's a really exciting, I think, prospect for for the attack. There's pace in there. There's trickery. There's creativity. There's ability to take shots from outside the box, like we've seen from. Jengas against France and Greece and Yusuf tonight against Moldova. And then behind, you've got a choice of midfielders from Irfan Can, Mahmoud Tegdemir, Emre, Ozan, Okayo Kushlu as well he, when he gets back to fitness. So there's a lot of players that are currently injured that are waiting to come back into this national team as well, which makes it exciting for us as fans. You know, for, for you know, the first time in a long time, you're excited to see the national team play, and there's this expectation as well. I think that's why against Andorra we were getting a little bit nervous and like, come on, man, you know, we've we've got good players, we can play good football. What is why are we being subjected to this against Andorra? But you know, a sign of a good team is the ability to win when you're not playing well, which is what we did against Andorra, and then tonight against Moldova we just had a bit of a party. Yeah, you know what? I witnessed this firsthand with Belgium as well. Um, Belgium were basically at every World Cup since until 2002, and then they had this long absence for 12 years. They didn't play a tournament, so not a World Cup, not, a, not and no Euros. But then, if you look at that generation they had going into 2014, you know all these players: Eden Hazard, Kevin De Bruyne, Marwan Fellaini, Thibaut Courtois. You know, I mean, we all know all those players. You know, how that team literally played in the Premier League, and that's something that was a huge difference with the generations before, where most of 
you know, I mean, not most of them, but like they were kind of scattered around a little bit, but many of them still playing domestically in, in, in the Belgian league and stuff like that. And I think the big issue for Belgium between 2002 and 2014 is that they didn't have that much talent in the top five leagues. And I think I'm kind of seeing that now, you know, Belgium aren't necessarily playing the best football in the world right now. But if you look at their qualification campaigns, they are absolutely dominating those qualification campaigns. And not necessarily with amazing football, but they're beating those minnows. And they're getting those three points every single time. No nonsense. You know, they might have like a slip up once in a while. But like, for example, this campaign, they've won absolutely everything, I believe. I think they have a 100% win record so far. Um, and that's the thing with this Turkey, what we're seeing now too. We see all these players or the star players of this team going out and playing in, in Europe. And you know what? In past generations, we had a lot of German Turks and stuff like that. But if you look at this this team, there's quite a lot of Turkey-born players that actually went out into those top five leagues. Çalak Soyuncu, for example, Meri Demiral, for example, uh, Zeki Celik, for example, uh, Umut Merash is another example. I'm not saying he's a, a star to be, but I mean, he went to Ligue 2, which is a good league. Um, and there's plenty of other examples. And this is, I think we're kind of harvesting the, the success of that. I really don't think we would be in this position if we would st- would have held on to that foreigner limit in 2015. Because then I don't think... Then I think that, for example, a guy like Umut Merash would never have gone to France. I think Chalak Soyuncu would not have gone to Germany and then afterwards make that jump to uh, to the Premier League. I think you know I I think they paid like two and a half million for him. I'm pretty sure Besiktas Galatasaray Fenerbahce would have forked out that cash um, if the foreigner limit was still a, a thing at the time. So I think we are really reaping the benefits from that foreign limit being softened or lifted almost. Um, and and that's what makes it so puzzling for me when we still see Shinel Gunesh constantly push that, push that agenda for re-implementing a foreign limit. Because I think this team is the result of not having a very strict foreign limit. And we're, yeah, like I said, those talented players are finally going out and discovering the world. And what they're finding in, in those top five leagues is that being Turkish doesn't get you anything. You know, which in the past, when you played for Besiktas, Galatasaray, Fenerbahce, being Turkish got you automatically, and being half-decent got you automatically a place on the team. Now they have to work for it and train hard and, you know, go out and get it and grabbing that brass ring. And they're doing it. And that's, I think, why we're not necessarily playing the best football right now, but we're getting the job done. And so much, I think, of that is as well as just Meri Demiral being such a stalwart at the back. You highlighted Chala Chalar before, but I think the common denominator in all of these games so far has been Mary, and we've kept five clean sheets so far. I think we only conceded the uh, goals against Iceland, and uh, I think the yeah, like I said, the common denominator is is is, uh, is Mary Demiral. Just we don't need to play really well because we're probably gonna keep a clean sheet right now because Mary is just organizing that defensive uh, line so well absolute and, general isn't he yeah he has been i'm so impressed with him he's absolutely amazing and i'm, I'm curious what your take is by the way on, on the changes that channel gunish made for the team today against andorra because there's quite a couple of those um just quickly gonna run over them so i, I gave the starting 11 earlier so the changes made to the team against moldavo tonight ozan tufan for emre belozoglu dorokham tokus for hakan chalanolo Kenan Karaman for Güven Yalçin, Denis Turuc for Yusuf Yazici, and Khan Ayhan for Çalak. And you said Çalak had a good game. Why do you think um, he went for Khan Ayhan? I'm curious on your take on that. Um, I, I think um, Shedal Gunish just thought, like, Merich Devarel is probably one of the first names on the team sheet. And he is, you know, as Turkey would say, someone you always put down. And I guess Shenol Gunish probably thought, you know, Charlard, you know, I played him for, I don't know if he played 90 minutes against Andorra. I don't think he did. But it's like, I've played Charlard against Andorra. So this game, I'm going to play Khan and maybe see how, maybe to create some like healthy form of competition amongst those two. Um, so I, I, 
from that's my, my my opinion. I think they thought, you know, Medic is Banco. He's always going to be there. So let me see how he performs with Charlo. Because I, I don't know if those two have played together uh, before um, whilst this team has been in this rich reign, you know, rich run of good form. I think it's always been Merican so far. Yeah, but I think, you know, if you look at, you know, Charlo's performances as a Premier League has started, he was mm-hmm. absolutely deserved, deserved his yeah. his starting places, getting rave reviews in the English press from the Leicester fans, from Gary Lineker online, who's um, a famous uh, British footballer. Um, he, he hosts the uh, Football Highlights program, actually, down Saturday. Gary he, who? Gary Lineker. Come who? on. <laughs> Shut I'm up, kidding. man. I'm kidding, man. You know Come who on. he is. Who doesn't know Gary Lineker? You remember Italian 90. Of course you do. Um, so yeah, no, I, I, I think just, I, I just remember him from Match of the Day, you know, watching it on the BBC at, at 11 o'clock in the evening or something when I was 12 yeah. years old. So my thinking is like, uh, Chanel thought, you know, just let me try out Charlotte with Merrick, and he liked what he saw, and he thought, okay, let me give... American Carnegie again. I think you know it's the the their form for their clubs is going to dictate who starts the the games in October. Mm-hmm. So it's it's good to have that. You know, managers love to have that kind of headache. It's not as if we've only got two centre backs that are good that we can play all the time. <laughs> no, we it's have like, such a, a luxury issue at the back, don't we? I mean, with Mary Khan, Chalar, and then uh, Ozan Kabak crumbing to the pipelines too and then you know we have this little unknown you know with uh with uh, what's his name Merchettin at, at AS Roma what if he starts Indeed. making minutes and doing well he's a 22 year old center back too and yeah and, you know what I was curious about this I'm kind of thinking he went with Khan today because he wanted a little bit uh, more stable build-up I'm not saying Chala doesn't have good build-up play but Khan is really good with the ball at his feet so I was just thinking maybe that's why he wanted to get some quicker ball rotation in um, I'm, I'm not sure otherwise because Chala I thought was very good against Andorra uh, very solid and, and you know he's, he's such a specimen that guy he, he looks like he should be the leading man in a Turkish dizzy with he looks a- like Christopher Reeves or something, man. He should play Superman in some uh, in some DC movie. Well, a lot of people have been saying he looks like the character Lord Farquaad from Shrek, and there's been lots of memes about that because oh. of his extremely strong jawline. <laughs> that that could probably you know cut through diamonds. I'm, a, I'm not a huge Shrek fan, unfortunately. <laughs> um, oh well, maybe we should make mention of the goal scorers against uh, Moldavo because we're kind of been just jumping uh, back and forth. Uh, but yeah, Cenk Tosun getting on the score sheet twice here. Um, Denis Turuc getting his first goal for the national team with a, with a very nice free kick. And then finally, Yusuf Yazice uh, with his first goal for the national team. Uh, a brilliant strike from the edge of the area uh, to make it 4-0. Uh, Cenk had opened the scoreline in the first half on a, on a Durokan assist. Very nice little uh, skill by uh, by Cenk flicking it over the keeper and then putting it home. And then Great the sec- skill. Great yeah, skill, especially with someone who's a little bit out of form mm. um, and he'd missed a good chance in the first half. You 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 start to think, hang, you know, is he is he has he got that that cutting edge because he's not been playing regular football? But after that that goal, you know, the take, mm-hmm. the flick over, the finish, absolutely just class. I thought he was really poor against Andorra. Actually, I felt that he was getting physically dominated by one of those uh, butchers or bakers or whatever their profession is but um then here he struggled in the opening 20 or so minutes 18 minutes i think but then he had this decent pass on the side of the area and then he he took it in kind of wrestled himself past the defender had a decent shot on goal i think that gave him confidence because like a couple seconds later like 20 30 seconds later he pops up in front of goal i think it was a header i'm not sure almost scores goalkeeper denies him but you could see that he was really sharp and really keen to get to that ball i just felt like that that shot like half a half a minute earlier just kind of yeah put lit, lit a fire under him and he started getting back into the flow and then obviously in the 37th minute he puts turkey ahead with a very nice goal um but that's we really needed that i think we needed Cenk to score that first goal not not you know, Denis, not Dorokan, not Ozan Tufan. We needed a striker to get on the score sheet. And, and hopefully uh, he can take this now and maybe get some minutes for Everton. But I think ultimately 
if his situation doesn't change for Everton, he needs to move on in January because we need Cenk Tilson right now. There's not really anyone in the pipeline that we can say, look, this guy is our striker for the next couple of years. It's really going to have to be Cenk and maybe Enes Unal, but, you know, I mean, we've kind of been saying that for a couple of years. I know he's still young, but his situation isn't really changing. And I'm kind of worried by the fact that he isn't getting minutes. He's getting called up by Shinol Gunish, but... I'm I'm worried, frankly, that he's not getting any minutes. And Kenan Karaman is kind of, kind of being used right now in that second striker role. Guven Yalcin is getting used in that role. I, I'm I'm not I'm not convinced on Kenan Karaman. I think he makes a lot of empty meters. I didn't really see him do anything useful. I mean, he runs a lot, but to what to what point? To what to what end? I I just don't see it in him right now. Of course, he's a teammate of Khan at Dusseldorf, but. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not a real fan of Kenan Karaman thus far. Maybe I don't watch Dusseldorf regularly, so I don't know if he's really good in the Bundesliga, and maybe that's why he's getting these minutes. But I'd rather, much rather see an actual striker uh, and as Unal get some minutes, especially in this, these types of games, and maybe get some confidence and then, you know, get to learn to play with this team. And I don't know, Kenan Karaman for me, and then Guven Yalcin, same thing, you know, I mean. I'm not convinced on him either, so we need to prep someone for that role. Whether it's Guven or Enes, I don't really care, but someone's going to have to get groomed for that striker role, because right now we only have Jenk, who's, how old is Jenk? 27, 28, so... Around that, yeah. Yeah. And, so. um, I mean, uh, Everton are playing Bournemouth away this weekend in the Premiership, and... I don't know whether the manager will look at his performance in the national team, see his two goals against Moldova and hand him a start. I think more than likely he's going to start on a bench again and he might be brought on. Yeah. Um, but we, we know that football's a confidence game and that's especially true for, for strikers. If you're going through a bit of a, a dry run where you've not scored, getting a goal or two under your belt is really the platform where you can kickstart yourself and move on. And if only it were the case that he was starting at Everton, you know, you could see something switching him. But but Everton have got like a wealth of options up front. They've got yeah. about four or five strikers, and um, Jenk is the one that wants to play down the middle. But he's fighting with uh, Calvert Lewin and uh, Moise Keane as well. Yeah. So that's that's a tall order. Yeah, and and plus then they have a. Uh... What's that Brazilian guy called? Richarlison. Yeah, Richarlison. Yes. And then they have the guy that played for Arsenal for 20,000 years and always got injured. So, And then they also have... Uh, what's that Brazilian called that they got from Shakhtar Bernard? So they've got so much options, really, don't they? And, and getting minutes for him is going to look so weird. I, he had options during the summer and he didn't move. I believe Frankfurt were interested in him. Besiktas were interested in bringing him back on loan. I get that he didn't want to come back to Turkey yet. Uh, for him, I think come, going back to Turkey now, that's like, okay, you know what? I, I failed uh, abroad. And, you know, he doesn't necessarily have to succeed in the Premier League, but he could go to, like, La Liga or Serie A or, or Bundesliga. I'm not saying that those leagues are, you know perfect for him but I think Cenk very much still wants to prove himself and doesn't want to go back to Turkey before he's like 29-30 years old so I get that and I kind of respect that I think definitely and especially if we do qualify for Euro 2020 that might make him force to move more in January so he can be playing regular football before the tournament mm -hmm. yeah hopefully in January he will force a move or get a move or uh, maybe to, you know Maybe do the Bundesliga or something. I don't know. But he needs a move. He needs to play because right now he is our number one striker, whether you're a fan or not. Obviously, I, I like Jenk a lot. But I, even when he played at, at Besiktas, I, I love Jenk. I think he's a great second striker to have, you know, behind, uh, for example, a Burak Yilmaz, a Mario Gomez, a whoever. I think he's a fantastic player in that role. But as your starting striker, even when he was at Besiktas and he scored like 20 goals in the season... I always kind of had the feeling like, eh, you know, not, not really good enough, maybe. Um, I love Jenk, and I think he's really good, actually. It's weird, but that season he scored 20 goals. Abubakar played a pretty big role, role in the team, too, and often they play together, and I think when he can play together with another striker, he's actually really good, too. And we saw that briefly, I think, against Albania, that Burak and, and Jenk functioned really well together. 
Um, so I think that could work. But I, as the lone striker, I think Jank just lacks a little bit of physicality. He's a strong guy. He's, he's a stocky, blo- stocky bloke, you know, built well. But he's only 1 meter 83. And against physically dominating defenders, he struggles a lot. So... Yeah, you know, Jenk right now, he's our number one, but we have a little bit of a, of a deficiency up front, which we hope that something is going to come out of the pipeline somewhere. Uh, maybe uh, Batuan Karadinis can try again. <laughs> I think there's, there's more chance of, of pigs flying and singing yeah. opera. What could have that. been, that that guy would have been perfect for uh, for Turkey. and uh, what, still... what a waste. I've actually just seen a tweet now by our, our good friend and, and co-host, Azar Dinjad who has said that apparently Chinggis and that is out for five weeks, which would rule him out of the October games. Um, so I think, yeah, that boy needs to look after himself a little bit more. I just, I think he's just really injury prone. I mean, he was injured. Shit. Uh, the last wave of uh, international games too. I mean, he missed a game against Iceland. Uh, he played against France and then got injured, of course, and then missed the games against, game against Iceland. And I think we've had a lot of injury issues. I mean, we we're missing now we're missing Burak. I think in those games against France and Iceland, we were missing Jenk. Uh, obviously, against Iceland, we missing Genghis, and Genghis is injured a lot. Uh, so we're, we're kind of struggling with those injuries up top too. We don't have that many options, and then we have those injuries. Uh, yeah, I mean. It's a good thing we didn't drop any points. <laughs> and, and of course, the the best left back in the world, Hassan Ali Kaldurun, is injured as well. So get well soon, national team players. So we hope to see you back for the October games. Yeah. What's your opinion on Umut Meres, by the way, his performance against Andorra and then tonight against Moldova? I don't think he was ever really tested, to be fair. And he, he did a, a job. You know, he did what was asked of him. I don't think he was ever really under any serious pressure of attacks, you know, being caught out on overlaps. He's got two extremely good centre-backs next to him who can marshal him and, and tell him where to go, where to be positionally, etc. So I think if he was playing against tougher opposition, it would have been a bigger test for him and we maybe would have had more to talk about. But against Moldova and Andorra, I don't think he was ever really put under any pressure to test his defensive abilities. So I think he did a, a standard you know, 6, 7 out of 10 job. Yeah, I'd be curious to see him against uh, get him tested a little bit because offensively I kind of feel like he doesn't really contribute much. Uh, but then again, I mean, Irfan Jam was playing on the left a lot today and then every time Umut would overlap, he would absolutely ignore him. So I don't know what's up with that. Uh, but yeah, Irfan Jan on the left, just or on the right. I just don't like him on the wing. I think he's a good player in the center of the park, but he should not be playing on the wings. And that just illustrates the issue we have. And then, uh, you know what? Honestly, I'm kind of hoping that uh, Gökhan Töre can have a salt season for Malatya Spor without injuries. And then uh, hopefully he can get back into the national team because he's one of the few options we have. And then, of course, Emre Mor. But uh, he hasn't looked too convincing at Galtzray so far, so I get that he wasn't called up yet. But hopefully those two can, uh, yeah, revitalize their careers a little bit because we desperately need those wingers. If I was a betting man, I'd put my money on Gökhan Töre ahead of Emre Mors. Um, but, but going back to the Moldova game, and what do you think was the difference tonight from the game against Andorra? Just getting that goal. I think if you get that goal against Andorra in the first half, you're you're looking at a 4-0 too. I think that was just a difference. Uh, plus, maybe that we were keeping the park a little wider because we had uh, Denny's on, on, on the team. And, you know, in, against, uh, against Andorra, I think we were playing far too much through the center. We, of course, were playing with Yusuf and Hakan, and they were kind of, we, or the center was completely crowded and, and all... Uh, Andorra did was just park the bus and then they just had to have enough bodies in the box and you know we could try and cross it but you know there wouldn't be they just overwhelm us in the air and just physically they were they were pretty good physically and they didn't have to run that much because we were always on their half anyway so they were kind of boxed in so they weren't wasting that much energy by running after the ball constantly because they weren't pressing high or anything like that so I think the main issue is just that we kept the park wider today against Andorra. Um, 
And I, I think we had a little bit more uh, dynamicness in midfield, maybe. Uh, I think Dorkan had a decent game. Ozon had, Ozon had a good game. Not necessarily that they contributed that much in attack, although Dorkan had a couple of nice passes. But I don't know. Um, yeah, I think just was just it, that we didn't focus too much through the center. And, and we used the wings a little bit more, even though... You know, Irfan Jan on the wing didn't really work out all that well. But I think Dennis, you know, he did he did his job. He didn't particularly stand out with his wing play. He didn't really have a lot of dangerous crosses or anything. But just keeping the park wide, I think, helped a lot. And we stretched them out a little bit, which then allowed us to find a couple of openings in behind the defense where Jen could try and um, capitalize. And uh, well, luckily, uh, you know, in the 37th minute, he did and, and got us a... Uh, 1-0 up before halftime, and, and then, of course, things snowballed from there. I think Dennis put in some some good crosses and, and, and corners. I, I could count a couple where there's one where he narrowly missed uh, Jenks' head uh, going into the goal. Yeah, and his and, corners were, were definitely a lot better than Hakan's were last week, for sure. Yeah, and he, his free-kick goal was just sublime. I mean, I was, I was on the edge of my seat as he was taking it, and he, he stepped up. And then the, the, the way he positioned, I think he actually went in off the post as well um, to get it up and down that quickly. So I'm, I'm excited to, to see those for, for Fenerbahce um, in the, the season going forward. And, you know, we, we have to talk about Yusuf Yazic's goal, which was just, oh, that was absolutely sublime. Um, gets the ball, picks up, go past, goes past one or two players um, outside of the box. And he thinks, do you know what? Today's my day. And he launches an absolutely sublime right foot curler, in, you know, just over a keeper's despairing dive um, to put a, a lovely cherry on the top of a delicious cake. So, Yeah, for sure. It's good for our goal differential too. And uh, this, is, this is a typical 4-0 type of goal, you know. It's, it's, it's already 3-0, so hey, have a go. Why not, you know. Uh, Dennis, I agree, is, is his free kick goal was really good. Um and uh, you could kind of see it on his face when he was lining up that he was going to shoot. He wasn't going to try and put it put it in the cross. You just saw that he, he, he spot right before he he take a shot. You you just look at him look, and I think he kind of spotted hit the goalkeeper maybe mispositioned a little bit, and that he could surprise him in in the near corner. Um, and uh, yeah, he did with a very good strike. And uh, yeah. And now all he has to do is make a YouTube video of that free kick call from different angles and he'll get a move to AC Milan. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> okay, well, you know, I think we spoke enough about Turkey. Uh, I don't know if you have anything else to add about uh, the Turkish national team's campaign so far. No, just that if we do qualify, then UEFA are releasing tickets for group stage matches in December. So... Start saving up now, people, because we go into those Euros next summer in various different cities. Okay, well, there's just one more thing uh, I want to talk about, and that's just uh, two guys that really stood out this international break that are active in Turkey, not Turkish players, but those two, of course, Ryan Babel of Galatasaray and Vedat Muric of uh, Fenerbahce both had a very good international break. Ryan Babel getting an assist against Germany, the, uh, the Netherlands emphatically winning away in Hamburg 2-4. He gets the assist on the 1-0 and then he forces uh, Ta to score an own goal on, on the on the second goal for the Netherlands. And ultimately, of course, Holland ended up winning that 2-4. Um, and then he got a brace against Estonia the other day uh, in a very easy 0-4 away win for Holland. So Holland looking really good in their group right now. They have nine points out of four matches but they have a match less played than both northern ireland and germany so if they win then they will be on 12 points level with those two so uh holland looking good uh heading into uh their uh european qualifier well heading into hopefully what for them will be a european championship and then tell us a little bit more about uh vidat muric's success for kosovo burak well the the dardanian continues to impress uh with his play um Kosovo were playing the Czech Republic on on Saturday. I believe they were playing at home. Uh, they went down 1-0. Uh, 
but then uh, Vedat scored to make it 1-1, um, put himself about the pitch um, as he does. And then tonight, um, Kosovo playing against England. Um, in England, Kosovo went ahead after 30 seconds, um, a horrendous uh, defensive error. Uh, from Michael Keane, I believe, plays for Everton. Um, uh, Vedat picked up the ball and passed it into his teammate, who slotted it in on, under Jordan Pickford. Um, and then England proceeded to score five goals um, before the the first half ended. Um, second half starts, and Vedat picks the ball up on the right wing, um, puts in a lovely ball into the middle of the, the box. A Kosovo player picks it up and curls it past Jordan Pickford. And then a few minutes later, he... Gets fouled in the box by Harry Maguire. He gets tripped. And then he demands the penalty from his teammate. And then he slots that in as well. So I think the, I was had both games on. And the Turkey game finished a little bit earlier than the England game. So I turned over. I put a volume up on the England game for the last like five, six minutes. And the commentators were referring to him as strong and skillful. So by all means, he, he's impressed. Um, for the national team as well, um, two assists, two goals, and I actually caught the uh, some of the Netherlands Germany game on on the weekend as well, and and Babel is having a, a revelation, um, you know, late in his career, Ikinjibahar Yashir, as uh, Turks would say, and he, I think you tweeted about it as well earlier online to say, imagine if he had been this prolific when he was in his younger years. Um, where he went a little bit off the rails after the move to Liverpool and kind of got lost in the wilderness before resurrecting his career at Kasim Pasha um, and then obviously moved on to Besiktas and Agal Hasaray. So it, it's good to see these players playing in, in the Turkish league also doing well on, on the national national stage and not against like minnows either. I mean, you've got the Vedat putting a great performance against England um, Czech Republic aren't the team they used to be, but you know he still scored. And then you've got Babel putting in a great performance against Germany with the goal and the, you know the, I mean the assist and the shot that actually turned into an own goal, which was his creation. And then bagging a brace against um, Estonia. So it's only good publicity for the Turkish league, and it could be the driving factor behind certain players' decisions to want to come uh, to the Turkish league as well especially if the team continues to do well leading up to the Euros um, and the Turkish teams do well in Europe. Turkish players, I mean, players based in Turkey, playing for other international teams, doing well for their national teams, it can only be a positive thing for, for Turkish football. And that's why the foreign limit rule being discussed is so ridiculous. And especially by Shinol Ganesh, who is benefiting directly from it being lifted. So I think there must be like an ulterior, ulterior motive or agenda there and he's being almost forced to to push it on but yeah it's been a, a great international break no injuries uh, fingers crossed as well so everyone's returning healthy back to their national team back to their club teams and we can kick off with the the super league again this coming weekend yeah, and even more so, I think, to that point what you're making, I think it's it maybe makes the league a little bit more attractive for, for, for pe- people coming in. Uh, but, um, yeah, I think it also makes it more attractive for them in another sense that we have these players going out to the top five leagues right now, being successful. Uh, I think that's also going to make it, it more interesting for younger foreigners for example like let's take for example Bernard Mensa who signed with Kayseri Spor he's just 24 years old I think he's seeing these younger Turks going out into the wilderness so to speak and being successful and I think the Turkish league is slowly but surely becoming more and more of a talent pool for those top five leagues where they're going to go out and scout I think five years ago they were barely doing that the Turkish league wasn't exactly a league where for example, Anais Roma would bother with going to look for cheap talent, you know, like they would in Belgium or in Hotball. You know, but I think the thing with, with Belgium and Holland is that the market values there has gone up so much. If you want a semi-talented player from, from Ajax, you're paying 20 plus million. And in Turkey, you can pick up guys for two and a half million. You know, if if you're, of course, buying them from Kenshterbili and not from Galtzreif and Armatje or Besiktas or Trabzonspor. But, just, you know, look at Cengiz Under. Um, 
he got picked up for 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 some spare change by, from Altinordo. Uh, obviously, Pashakshir picked him up, but you know what I mean. And then there's other players like that, you know, going forward. And look at Berke Uzar, for example, being good at, at Westerwell right now. I think that's also making a good impression. Um, and, and slowly but surely, maybe that that negative stigma that the Turkish league, that Turkish football have of kind of being the European sandbox, so to speak, maybe that's a way to, to get rid of it. And I think that's the, the, the current foreigner rule... Um, can be modified a little bit. I think there's definitely things that should and could be modified. I think incentives to play Turkish players are are are, are good, but no, but you shouldn't make it a must, so to speak, because then you're just forcing Ismail Koybashes and Jing Gunans on on the teams, and that's not something we want. Anyway, we've done an episode on that anyway in the past, so our opinions obviously hasn't been changed, but it is puzzling for us that. Channel Gunesh continues to talk about it uh, every uh, other couple of weeks. And I I completely agree with you, Barack. I think there's an ulterior motive there. I think he's being instructed to do so by higher powers. And I think it's clear because Mircea Lucescu was doing the exact same thing. And and now that he's not a turkey coach anymore, he he doesn't seem too fussed about the foreign limit. Obviously, you know, he doesn't have the incentive to do so anymore but whatever anyway i think i'll do it for our international break coverage we were aiming for a 30 minute episode i think we went well over that um but like we said we're gonna come back with a with a transfer episode uh, later this week too uh Burak, thank you very much for your time anything left to add enjoy the evening turkish football fans or enjoy the morning when you will be listening to this we are top of the group and we are marching into the Zeros next summer. Yeah. And guys, this is going to be a lazy edit. I'm just going to stick an intro, stick an outro on it. I, there's not really anything to edit anyway. So uh going to be a lazy edit. So you're not going to have these fancy effects and stuff like that. But uh, this, gonna, this was just a quickie. Uh, I do would like to remind everyone, please go check out our UEFA Europa League Group C preview, which of course feature, features Trabzonspor and they're up against FC Basel, Krasnodar and uh, Getafe. We had some great guests on the show for those teams. Uh, Oliver Zessiger, a Swiss football scout, who told us a little bit more about Basel. Then we had uh, Will Baumgartner on from Russian Football News to tell us a little bit more about Krasnodar. And then, of course, Alexander Johnson. Johnson, sorry. I always say Johnson. (laughs) Alexandra Johnson from La Liga TV. Uh, she came on and told us a little bit more about Getafe. I really learned a lot about all those teams on the day, so I highly recommend going out of your way and listening to the Group C review. And then the Group J review with Basakshi here, AS Roma, Borussia Mönchengladbach and Wolfsburger AC from Austria. That was a very interesting uh, episode too, and especially I think John Solano's passion for us Roma really came across well, and he just kept t- t- telling us uh, so much uh, fun stuff about us Roma and Genghis Undera's role in the team, how he sees maybe the future for Merchettin. So lots of extra incentives for Turkish football fans to go and listen to that. Um, then. Um, I spoke to Roland Murphy about Borussia Mönchengladbach. So definitely an interesting team. I think uh, I think Basak are going to struggle a lot against them. And then uh, finally uh, spoke to uh, Martin Schauhuber for Wolfsburger AC. He's uh, the editor of uh, Der Standard in Austria. So all these interviews are worth listen. Go check them out. We have on the 12th uh, a Europa League group preview for Group K dropping for Besiktas. This one is exclusively dropping on the Black Eagles podcast feed. But we will be tweeting that out on the Football Alterga feed too. So you can find it easily. And then on the 15th, finally, I'm doing the final recording on Friday for that one. I still have one interview left to be done. That's why Galtzray are the last ones to drop. But on the 15th, the UEFA Champions League Group A uh, preview is dropping. With Jonathan Johnson covering Paris Saint-Germain. Ben Hayward covering Real Madrid, Guillaume Mabe covering Kerbrugge, and our very own Özer Dinger covering Galatasaray. So a lot to look forward to in the upcoming days, a lot to listen to. So, you know, um, I think these European previews are definitely worth a listen. 
um, yeah, that's uh, all I can say. Please help us out by retweeting, sharing with your friends and family so uh, that uh, the, the podcast can continue to grow and continue to get more listenership. Uh, and that way we can bring you more of these types of interviews with internationally renowned journalists uh, to give their insights on uh, Turkish players abroad, teams. I'm just, there's endless possibilities of what we can do um, if uh, we continue to grow. Exactly. And we also now have a Facebook page. So go and post on there. We love to hear your feedback. So what you like, what you don't like, get involved in the conversation. And once again, thank you for listening and inviting us into your ears. Facebook page will be in the show notes. Check it out and see you all uh, later this week. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye.